Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Welcome. Today, we're talking about clearing the waters of Massachusetts. Uh, We've had uh, more and more ocean dead zones and harmful algal blooms, and we find that there's a connection between what we do on our properties on the land and death of animals and wildlife at sea and in our rivers and in our ponds where we have harmful algal blooms from time to time. Uh, my guests today are spring interns, Isabel Ranowski. Hi, everybody. And Hunter Lambert. Hello. And we've been working for weeks now, I guess, on uh, on how to reduce the... Um, we're, we're talking about reducing nitrogen pollution. Nitrogen is the worst pollution of oceans because it causes ocean dead zones. And this became most apparent last summer in Boston Harbor. We had perhaps 100 striped bass, and they were chasing thousands of menhaden up under the Mystic River Bridge and into the Mystic River, and then just just below the Amelia Earhart Dam, um, they swam into an ocean dead zone and all rolled up dead. There was a prevailing southwest wind, and so it pushed the carcasses along the Everett shore, uh, right next to where we have a new uh, casino coming in, a little upriver of that. And um, I was able to um, drive out to Everett the next day or a couple days later, and um, right behind the uh, Casco, there's a Casco tire big factory store, um, and right behind there, uh, I parked the car and was just really knocked over by the smell of dead fish. And sure enough, there were thousands of menhaden and um, and then a few big striped bass amidst all the carnage there of um, fish. So the newspapers said, oh, it wasn't anyone's fault. There wasn't any you know, oil spill or any spill that caused this to happen. It's just a natural occurrence and probably related to global warming. Well, we were having an unusually warm summer, but not that many. The water was not that many degrees warmer. Um, And warm water and long daylight are ideal conditions for algae to bloom. But the limiting factor for blooming algae is the food, the nutrients they eat. And salt water, that's nitrogen. And in fresh water, it's phosphorus. So the... um, there had been an algae bloom, and all the oxygen had been eaten up by the algae. Once they grow fast, they die and decompose and consume all the oxygen. So these fast-swimming fish, um, menhaden, yeah, it was menhaden, menhaden and um, striped bass, they're both dark-muscled fish that are, are fast-swimming and, and high-oxygen burners. So they just zoomed into this... Uh, anoxic, no oxygen water, and just immediately died for lack of oxygen. Sometimes these algal blooms will have uh, toxins released, uh, but that wouldn't make any difference for these 
fast swimming, you know, high oxygen burning critters. Um, so those are the three things you need: nutrients, uh, t- warm temperature, and uh, and lots of daylight. So that creates ocean dead zones. And but in the Mystic River watershed uh, is different than a lot of areas. So there are three things that cause the three sources for uh, the nitrogen, and one is septic and sewage. And another is, but in the Mystic River Valley, those, there are about a dozen or less than a dozen towns and municipalities in the watershed. And they um, are all tied into the MWRA uh, treatment facilities. So all of their sewage is piped out to Deer Island and treated, and then the nitrogen-rich waters are dumped at least nine miles, so the pipe running nine miles out of Boston. Um, and then they have diffusers spreading it out into the Atlantic Ocean. So, sewage and septic was not a big source for the Mystic River's nitrogen. Another big source is agriculture, stuff coming off of farms. And again, in these towns of greater Boston, there's not a whole lot of agriculture. But there are a whole lot of lawn and grass and uh, fertilizer from the lawns are the third source of nitrogen pollution, and that's what we, I think we saw happen here was too much of that stuff. And so um, we have, at the Ocean River Institute, have been working for about a decade to reduce the amount of nitrogen and fertilizer you put on uh, and basically treat your lawns only like golf courses do, which is to feed your grass when it's hungry and to make sure none of the fertilizer that you give it leaves the grass, doesn't go to the grass, because that's just a waste of money. And unfortunately, uh, we are told by the industry to put way too much fertilizer down. And um, this has been an effort of ours to reduce the amount of fertilizer. And we, we really hit the ground running in 2012 when Falmouth, Massachusetts, had a fish kill of 16 striped bass and uh, horseshoe crabs. They were found dead in Little Pond, which is a salt pond right off of Nantucket Sound. And those, those fish had swum in and run into an ocean dead zone. And the locals blamed the lawns that were stretching down to the water of Little Pond and said, no, there's too much fertilizer coming out of it, coming off of those lawns. Uh, and part of that knowledge is local knowledge because the lobstermen have found that there's so much algae growing on their lobster traps out of Falmouth and off of the vineyard that they had to carry a uh, vat in the back of the boat that will um, that they put the lobster traps into to boil off uh, boiling water to take off the algae. Otherwise, they'll get 30 to 40 pounds on the traps, and if it gets more, then the lines are going to break and stuff. So the lobstermen are upset, and the lobster industry is hurting because there's so much blooming algae in those waters south of Cape Cod. Uh, but the lobstermen are upset to see these lawns stretching down to the water, and they think that's the reason there's too much nutrient uh, causing the algal bloom. And how much of that is the problem versus septic and sewage is debatable, but the stupid thing is people are paying money to fertilize, and they shouldn't do that, whereas they have to treat the waste. And so this is an easy fix. Um, 
And so Falmouth responded properly and said, okay, instead of letting, instead of the industry recommended standard of five pounds per thousand square feet of nitrogen, of fertilizer, which is mostly nitrogen, um, you should only put one pound down. And so they passed the bylaw to do that. Just help save, and no town has more salt marshes and coastal areas than the Falmouth because it's on Nantucket Sound and it's on Buzzards Bay. So they passed that bylaw ordinance, a bylaw, they called it, the Falmouth Bylaw, and then the industry stepped up to the town attorney general's office, the city's, the state attorney general's office, and said, um, look, you state people know science better than a town does, and so you can uh, trump what the town wants to do, and you've got to restore uh, the, you've got to re- get rid of that bylaw that says only one pound instead of five pounds. And uh, the Oakland Institute, we wrote thousands of people who wrote letters, hundreds wrote comments to the AG, but the AG had to, had to uh, decide on the merits, which is, yeah, they got more science at the state level than the town level. And so they did away with the uh, bylaw. They said, if you don't put down five pounds per thousand square feet on your lawn to fertilizer, the grass is going to die. It won't be healthy. They didn't tell you, you put 5.1 down, you're going to burn the grass. So, um, fortunately, Falmouth had a state senator at the time with Therese Murray, and she was president of the Senate. So she passed, she slipped into the budget bill for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts an exemption of the Falmouth bylaw saying that in Falmouth, they will only apply one pound per thousand square feet fertilizer to established lawns, not five. And so for six years, that's been the practice in the Falmouth. And by golly, the grasses in Falmouth are just as green as in the communities that are dumping all this extra fertilizer, which is not being taken up by the grass because they're plenty healthy as they are. Um, And so it indicates that um, we don't need so much. Uh, fertilizer. And, and the industry says, well, they've got the science behind them to back it up. Well, by that they mean that when grass is growing, it needs nutrients. So if you're growing grass in a laboratory and the only source of nutrients is the fertilizer, then yes, they do need some fertilizer applied. But if you're growing grass in dirt where there's nitrogen fallout in the air and so forth, or nitrates, then um, maybe not. And, uh, you know, you can leave your grass cuttings on the lawn, and that is the equivalent of leaving a, a pound of uh, nitrogen per 1,000 square feet on your lawn. So for years now, the Ocean River Institute has been campaigning to have people take a holiday from fertilizing their lawns during the summer and only put down some stuff uh, in the spring and fall like a half pound, which is what Falmouth is doing, a half pound of solar with nitrogen. Uh, but we were unable to go anywhere with the state legislator because it was in the governor's office. And now we have a Republican governor who is not going to save lawn owners money when it means costing a lawn fertilizer spreader a job during the summertime. So that went nowhere. And so now, um, thanks to... Uh, 
student, college student interns like Hunter and Isabel and the ones that have come before, uh, we have, we are now going town by town to conservation commissioners and saying, um, look, for the love of clean water, would you please call for a bylaw uh, to um, apply only a half pound in the fall of solar nitrogen instead of this current thing that the industry is pushing on us? And so it's been a long process. So let me um, pass it over to um, Hunter. There are two aspects of what we're asking of towns. We want them to use slow-release nitrogen, and we want them to ban the use of the herbicide uh, Roundup. And so I'm going to ask Hunter's our fertilizer expert, um, and I'm going to ask you to tell us about slow-release nitrogen, and then we'll circle back with Isabel on the Roundup herbicide. I'm going to take it away. Perfect. Um, to give a little, little background on slow-release nitrogen fertilizer, um, it's just a fertilizer in which the nitrogen is modified or coated in some way so that um, it's been released at a slower rate and not just all at once. <clears throat> um, to break down the benefits of slow-release, I'd probably put it into two categories, the first being uh, turf and lawn health. Um, when you're using uh, slow-release nitrogen that's being uh, solely uh, released into the soil, so you're seeing uh, lawns that have uniform grass growth. You're not seeing um, shoot growth where it'll sprout up from certain areas, causing um, both the shoot and the root to grow uh, sporadically. Um, so you're having healthy shoots, healthy root system, and also you're allowing um, the microbes in the soil to be fed, which can further just establish a healthy lawn cycle. Um, additionally, when you use soil nitrogen, you are less likely to burn your lawn with the fertilizer. And I think this is really tied into the fact that when you use soil nitrogen, you can um, reduce the amount of fertilizer you use a ton. Um, and that kind of leads into my second point being economic reasons. So um, when you over-fertilize your lawn, majority of that fertilizer is just going to be leached right into the groundwater. Um, your soil or your plants are not really going to see any of the benefits of that fertilizer. And so even though... Um, a package of solution fertilizer can be a little bit more expensive. You're really seeing the benefits going straight to your your lawn, which I think is hugely important. Yeah, that's really great. Mm -hmm. So, solar-release nitrogen is like feeding your kids protein for breakfast instead of just giving them sugar for breakfast. Absolutely. The fertilizer industry wants us to do the the high fructose sugar uh, meals for the grass, which Maybe they can take up quickly, but mostly you were saying it just passes it by. It percolates down through the soil and turf into the groundwater or washes off. I think it's like almost like my parents when I was little, when I used to say, like your eyes are bigger than your stomach. You're getting, yeah. you're getting this lawn so much or so much of the fertilizer that's not even used. It's going to pass it through. It's going to take a few bites, and the rest is just gone, wasted. It's really hard because we, we spend so much money on buying a house, you know, buying property. It's our biggest expenditure until you have kids in college or something. <laughs> and, um, and so we want our properties to look good, you know, so it feels good to follow the bag of fertilizer Absolutely. to say on them, fertilize in the spring, uh, Memorial Day weekend, Fourth of July weekend, Labor Day weekend, and in the fall, we're out there or we're paying someone, you know, greenbacks to get out there mm -hmm. and spread because we think we're holding on best, but it's not, is it? No, I, I wouldn't think so. I'm sure the, like the producers of this fertilizer want you to buy as much as possible, want you to use as much as possible, and 
when these lawn owners are seeing, oh, yeah, my grass is still green, because that's certainly going to hurt their lawn. It's just not going to be used, and it's going to hurt the environment. So it's just pushing off the burden somewhere else, you know. Right. So you might as well just buy the fertilizer bag and shake them out into the creek next to the Absolutely. lawn. Absolutely. You know, and save the, the water, the transport time and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's, so that's really great. That, you know, so we're calling for... Falmouth started with a half pound in the spring and a half pound in the fall. But looking at the uh, UMass agriculture reports, yeah. which is kind of the, where we go in Massachusetts for, um, for how to treat our turfs and lawns, uh, they found that the most important time is in the fall. Why would the fall be the best time? Uh, I, I think you probably know better than I would. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so probably, oh, it's, you know, to get us through the winter. Yeah. And, um, and so that there's, yeah, so there's some root development, um, and um, I know, and maybe the soil or something. If you're thinking about like, um, you don't want to fertilize during rainy seasons, and that's probably a big majority reason. Like when you have during much time, you're gonna have a ton of snowfall in the spring. You have a ton of rain, so fall probably would be the time where it'd be the driest, where you can, you wouldn't see a giant loss of fertilizer. Which right. makes sense. Right. Although being slow release, it kind of gets in there. And it does. Yeah. Wash off as much. Um, but yeah, we found out that. I called Falmouth and said, you know, I asked them where they're getting slow-release nitrogen, and they uh, said, well, we're no longer asking for one pound. And um, so that suggests that we don't have to do a half pound in the spring and a half pound in the fall. Um, but I think because of what you were saying about it being good for the roots and stuff, that if people are compelled to do something for their lawn, that uh, a half pound in the um in the fall, mm-hmm. you know, so the price of a half pound of um, thoroughly nitrogen is a lot greater than a half pound of high-burning, you know, stuff. Nitrogen. Yeah. But you're replacing five pounds with a half pound, so you're going to end up saving money. It's mm-hmm. not going to be five or ten times as expensive. It's maybe twice as expensive. Yeah. Um, so, so tell us about um, about these different types of um, originally, you told me that um, you found these products, and because you were looking around, you couldn't seem to find much. At first, I think I was a little bit skeptical. I'm like, oh, no, I, I can find something. I can. I can. So like, after about a day of researching, like, I realized, I don't know if it's due to lack of labeling or maybe there isn't those products out there, but it is really hard to find products that are marked slow release that are just available. Yeah. Yeah, at least in, uh, at least in our area. And it looks like if not, you want to use Amazon or something to ship them somewhere else. It's, it's really hard for to find local places that um, that have this. But we did find um, these products from Growth Products. Um, they these products are uh, called Nitro Plus K twenty two zero sixteen. Uh, the twenty two uh, meaning twenty two percent nitrogen, zero being zero percent uh, phosphorus, and sixteen being sixty percent um, potassium. Let me interrupt before you go into all the details of this thing. So we did find a Connecticut, yeah. a company in Connecticut that is supplying the golf course. Mm-hmm. So that was the trick was to look away from that. So that was why I called Falmouth was because they originally said use 80% solely with nitrogen. So I called them and said, where in Massachusetts can you buy it? Mm-hmm. And then they said, no, we're not buying it at all. And I called Scott, my local you know, big provider, and said, hey, I want to use some solely with nitrogen on my lawn in Massachusetts, in Somerville, Massachusetts. I mean, it's a really small lawn, but um, in fact, we don't have it anymore. But uh, at the time, they said that um, 
Oh, they wouldn't sell it to me. They just said, no, you got to use our product that we know better than you do. Yeah. So, bravo. So tell us about this um, product that, um, oh, what's the name of the company? Growth Products. Growth Products. Mm-hmm. And they're in White Plains, New York. And um, so tell us about um, Nitro K. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with these products, you're seeing the benefits I talked about before. You're seeing um, soils that are, um, have microbes that are being fed. You're seeing uniform growth. This company is uh, based around like large-scale turfs, but it was, the same would apply to uh, lawn care at home. The biggest benefit, I think, from this is that they really do push for reduction in use of fertilizer because they have this formula worked out so perfectly. You're able to use the perfect... Because the, the healthiest lawn uses the lowest amount of fertilizer possible. Over-fertilization hurts your, hurts your lawn, so the fact that you can get it down to a uh, perfect amount is, um, is great. And I think um, this formula has a little bit of potassium. In general, you uh, don't necessarily need um, potassium in your fertilizer, but um, here in New England, it does help with cold hardiness. So I think it's good to keep a baseline level of potassium in uh, in your soils just to keep a a healthy um, cycle. But yeah. Yeah, so what's interesting is that we've been thinking about the grass, Mm -hmm. but as important as the grass is the soil out of which the grass is getting its life forces for Absolutely. all year round. So this is this is feeding the soil so it'll be healthier to feed the grass all year round. Yeah. They don't like in the beginning it's um, the hardest thing about establishing lawn is that it is very finicky in the beginning, but once you get this established lawn, it kind of will regulate itself a lot. Yeah. So that's like when the lawn clippings come in when you can just mow your lawn and put some lawn clippings out there and kinda of keep the cycle naturally instead of having to apply this stuff. Well that's exactly right. If you have an established lawn <clears throat> Uh, if you leave the clippings on the lawn, that adds a little bit of nutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're asking for a, a ban of applying more than a half pound. Yeah. But you're not being mandated to put down a half pound. No, you, know, you could opt to do nothing, and many people do, uh, but we offer this as something if you're compelled to do it. Mm-hmm. We don't mean to say, you know, do this every year, but it's just if you want to do something. Like feed your lawn when you speak that. Yeah. That's the bottom. If it looks bad, and then you have a spot that's bad, then you can mm-hmm. feed that or something. But Absolutely. I've never seen that happen. Uh, what I have seen is spots because of herbicides, because of herbs, or because of invasives and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So we're going to take a short break, and then um, when we come back, Isabel is going to talk to us about herbicides. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforocean.com. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. We're talking about cleaning up the waters of Massachusetts by starting in our own front yards and backyards by not putting down so much fertilizer on grass and lawn. We can actually have green grass without polluted waters if we only put the right amount down. And so Harper's been explaining that instead of five pounds of fast-burning fertilizer, we, can, we only need to put down a half pound uh, per 1,000 square feet of lawn for, um, yeah, to um, clean the waters. Um, yeah, so, um, right, so you were telling us about slow reflection, the benefits of that. So uh, let's, well, before I go to um, Isabel, if you're listening and you want to follow along with what we're talking about, uh, you can go to our webpage, Ocean River. Dot O-R-G. So it's www.oceanriver.org, and uh, you'll see six causes, and the upper left one is um, this one, and so you want to click on that. Uh, I think you'll see some harmful algal bloom happening or something in the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually got a picture of um, algal blooms happening in Massachusetts. A picture from, like, way out. It's like an aerial picture. It looks pretty, but it's not pretty. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, and the cause title that we put up there is, uh, stop the destruction to our waterways and help take down Roundup. Um, so the Roundup portion is the second part of this clean water project that we've been working on. Um, and specifically I've been working on the Roundup stuff. Um, and we are pushing for a ban on Roundup in um, all of Massachusetts municipalities and towns and cities. 
So I just wanted to first start talking out, uh, start out by talking about the harmful effects of Roundup. Um, and that is the basis for our ban, really. So first, I think it's important to note that the main ingredient in Roundup, glyphosate, is really harmful to human health. Um, you may have heard in the last year or so on the news that there was um, a former school groundskeeper in California named Dwayne Johnson, um, who was awarded $289 million. Um, that is to be paid out by Monsanto, who makes Roundup. He developed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma as a result of using Roundup. And right now, Monsanto is appealing the decision, which is very sad. Um, so as I said, it causes cancer. Dwayne Johnson got cancer because of Roundup. Um, it's been designated as a probable human carcinogen by the UN's International Agency for Research on Cancer. And it's also been linked to antibiotics resistance and hormone destruction. It's some really alarming effects that we have um, here as a result of Roundup. So what's more is that Roundup is found everywhere in our environment, well, glyphosate, rather. Um, a recent U.S. geological survey study found that it was, that glyphosate was found in 30, um, in the, the majority of waterways in 38 states. So that includes rivers, streams, ditches, um, and even wastewater treatment plant outfalls. So sewage treatments are not taking out glyphosate. Glyphosate has also been found in 70% of rainfall samples from the same study. Um, and it's also been found in even 90% of our soy crop samples. So it's in our food, and it's everywhere. It's not good. We, need, we really do need a ban on Roundup. Um, and, you know, some, some cities have even been proactive about this and have already, um, have already taken action to limit the use of Roundup or ban it completely. So we would really just love to see that happen here in Massachusetts as well. So they use lap, that's a herbicide of choice when you have weeds in your lawn. Yeah. You get out the spray mm -hmm. and go at it. So are there alternatives to get rid of those weeds? Yeah, so we anticipated that that's going to be a big question for everybody. Roundup is so popular. It works well is what people say. Um, but, you know, there are definitely alternatives that can be used that are feasible. Um, I put up, I created a list of a whole bunch of them, um, and there's way more than you might think. So I guess I could just go through them individually. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is, if you go to our cause webpage about um, cleaning the waters that Isabel was telling us about, and then you'll see her um, description of um, herbicides, and you can click on to this page that she's now talking to. Right. So on that page, you'll see a table, and it'll just list all the alternatives and how they work, you know, what, what is the mechanism that they're able to, um, you know, ward off the weeds from your lawn. So the first step that I have is a pretty simple one. Um, it's just mulch. So mulching on your lawn could really help keep out the weeds because if you have a thick enough layer of mulch, that'll block out the sunlight on your lawn. And any weeds that are underneath the mulch will not be able to grow without sunlight. So you're basically depriving them of what they need to grow. That's good for around the edges so they don't creep onto your lawn and stuff. Right, exactly. That's used for around the perimeters of your lawn mostly. Um, and it's also going to be kind of like a style 
um, a style choice too because it looks different than just having, um, yeah, than just having grass. So it is an aesthetic choice, but it really is effective um, and simple. You know, it's, it doesn't involve chemicals or anything like that. Um, like if you have a, a tree in your lawn, it's good to put some wood chips around the base of the tree so you don't have to bump into the tree with a lawnmower or... Exactly. Um, and also, it's just probably better for the soil like a bees there. Yeah. So maybe not the same grass, but for the sake of lawn mowing, it's nice to not have it. Yeah, yeah and um, so I guess some other simple ones, too, before we go on to the more complex ones, are just manual removal, you know, pulling out the weeds by hand. That's the traditional way to go. Of course, it's more work-intensive, but it's tried and true. Um, and then you can also just do weed whacking with string trimmers or other kinds of weed whackers. Um, those are a little bit less physically intensive, but they're also a manual way to remove your weeds, so not using any chemicals or anything like that. Um, so moving on, one big category that I found to be pretty popular for Roundup Alternatives is the category of safer post-emergence herbicide alternatives. So let's unpack that. Um, What does post-emergence mean? So you should know that Roundup is a systemic herbicide. So it'll kill a whole system of weeds. Um, It can kill weeds whether they have begun to grow or not. But post-emergence, herbicide alternatives, which are safer than Roundup, they unfortunately only have the power to kill weeds that have already emerged from the ground. So, you know, if you can see it popping out of the grass, then these will work on them. Um, And they have three main properties. So they're contact active, which means that they must uh, contact the actual plant to work. Like I said, that's kind of related to the post-emergence quality of it. And that would be the second one. So they will only kill, they will not kill plants that have not emerged. And then the third one is that there's no root uptake of these herbicides. So they won't harm adjacent plants without plant tissue contact. It's not going to, these chemicals are not going to show up in the soil. They're not going to be taken up um, by other plants that you have not targeted it with. Um, and there are a bunch of categories within this category of alternatives. Um, different chemicals like diquat, pelargonic acid, glufosinate. Uh, and then we have a fourth category that's actually the most natural one. You could say that they are the most natural. Um, and they are vinegar-based or botanical oil-based. And interestingly, in my research, I've also found that you can even make your own post-emergence herbicide at home. Um, and that's... Hey, a vin- let's go for that. Who yeah. It's... It's easy, you know, all these things you probably already have in your house. Um, and it's a vinegar-based one. So vinegar is a natural herbicide. Um, for this one, the recipe is just one gallon of white vinegar, one cup of salt, and one tablespoon of dish soap. You combine it, and then you can transfer it to a spray bottle and just spray weeds when you see them. Yeah. That's great. There, there were some other vinegar-based ones, but they're more powerful vinegar. Um, do I have to wear gloves when I'm applying this? Right. So if you're using the homemade one, uh, white vinegar or household vinegar is a lot weaker than industrial vinegar. So if you are using a homemade vinegar-based uh, herbicide alternative, you don't need to really use gloves. Um, 
if you just want to use that not you know not to get any on your hands because you don't want to smell like vinegar that's fine but you know your skin is not going to get burned by this which is really good it's safe um and not to say not to say that industrial vinegar is not safe or herbicides made with industrial vinegar are not safe but they can really irritate your skin um or burn your skin so you you would need to wear gloves in order to be safe while using that um, and we have a few other alternative um, approaches here. So, just yeah, just yeah. real quick, uh, mechanical heat-based approaches. So a brief exposure to a heat source will kill weeds instantly. Um, but you might have to get special machinery for that, so just keep that in mind. Um, People tend to use that on the sidewalk for weeds and cracks. So. Yeah. So the sidewalks can take the heat, but wood chips won't take the heat so well if you're mulching next to that. Exactly, yeah. So you have to make sure you don't, you know, you don't have any flammable materials present on your lawn. Um, but if you do, you can also do steam weeding, which is another form of a heat-based approach. Um, so yeah, there's options for everybody. It just depends, you know, what's on your lawn, um, what's your budget, how much time do you have, etc. So uh, in general, we just really recommend that you put together kind of a weed management plan um, that fits your needs. And also keep in mind that there's not going to be a one-to-one replacement for Roundup, really, because Roundup is a systemic herbicide. Um, So in general, I would recommend, you know, picking and choosing multiple approaches that work for you. Different treatments for different situations. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you, Isabel. That's really interesting. Yeah. It was great to do this research. I learned a lot about weeds for when I get a house. So. <laughs> well, the next task is that we're going to go town by town and talk about um, using slow-release nitrogen and not using Roundup and promoting Isabel's recipe on herbicides. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about that when we come back after this break. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. 
They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. I'm talking with Isabel Ranowski and uh, Hunter Lambert, and we are talking about cleaning the waters of Massachusetts. Uh, and we have found that uh, two of the worst pollutants are coming off of our lawns, and that is nitrogen that feeds algae to cause uh, harmful algal growths and then ocean dead zones. Uh, it also, as you know, harms ponds and rivers and streams, uh, clogging them with algae. Uh, so we want to do less nitrogen and less uh, Roundup, which is a cancer-causing poison. And Isabel has told us how to um, make a home remedy there for um, squirting uh, Roundup, squirt this uh, vinegar. What's the ingredients again? So it's vinegar, one gallon of white vinegar, yeah. one cup of salt, and one tablespoon of dish soap. That's it. That's it. Just put a squirt bottle and go after those dandelion rosettas and... Mm-hmm. All that low-lying stuff on your lawn that shouldn't be there. Um, frankly, I get more satisfaction out pulling the lines up myself. But whatever works for you to get those weeds down. But the moral of the story is that we're going to have green lawns and clean water that we've been scanned by the industry to put way much more down on. Um, and yet, we're unable, I've been unable to get a state legislators to respond to this. It, it falls under the purview of agriculture is under the purview of the governor. So we have to go town by town. And starting with uh, uh, striped bass and Menhaden fish kill in the Mystic River that I talked about at the beginning, uh, we've looked at the Mystic River watershed and it kind of expanded out there from there to identify 40 municipalities. And uh, we just been go- and so we sent a letter to 40 municipalities explaining what we're talking to you about on this program here. And, uh, and then you just got to get on the horn and start talking to them. So, Isabel, you drew the, the top of the list, so you've been going from A down. And, uh, and then I'll ask uh, the hunter who started at the bottom of the list going up. So uh, what are you finding uh, reaching out to towns of Massachusetts? 
Yeah, so um, we've been doing a little bit of research on what kinds of bylaws the town might already have. Any long care bylaws similar to what we're looking for, especially um, though with fertilizers. So when we were doing the preliminary research, we found that Holliston, uh, Massachusetts, and the town of Wellesley, Massachusetts, they both uh, have an educational campaign regarding what good lawn care looks like, good, responsible lawn care. Um, and they actually had a lot of materials on their websites about, um, you know, limiting fertilizer pollution, you know, what are, the, what are the effects of that in their own town? How is it affecting their beloved little ponds or other bodies of water? Um, and actually what was interesting, too, is that when I was looking at what the town of Wellesley, um, their education campaign, they exactly are advocating for what we say about grass clippings. So leaving the grass, you know, leaving your grass clippings on the lawn after you mow your lawn is equivalent to, I think, one pound mm-hmm. of, of fertilizer. Yeah, so simple steps like that. Um, just I think tip. that's over the course of the year. Yeah. You're leaving it out to say you're applying one pound for thousand square feet. Right. So you mean like every single time you mow your lawn? If you leave it every time, then you'll have fed your lawn a pound of equivalent of a pound of fertilizer. Mm-hmm. You just leave it once and sweep up the other times, all bets are off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think it's great to see that at least two of the first 40 towns that we've been looking at um, are being proactive about lawn care and how their practices are harmful to our environment. Um, And we do expect them to be proactive as we approach them as well with our recommendations for a bylaw. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, we are pushing for a bylaw um, at the end of the day. You know, that's our goal but education programs are still... Right. We need the bylaw because without the bylaw, the industry salespeople are going to come to your house and say, if you don't do it our way, your grass is going to die. Mm -hmm. We know better. We have the science. So we need a bylaw that limits the application of fertilizer to one-half pound of slow-release nitrogen, at least 80% slow-release nitrogen, um, thousand square feet of lawn uh, per year, uh, and no roundup. So we're, that's why we're calling on a bylaw just the more than. Um, and so we've been writ- we we wrote letters to forty towns to tell them we'll be calling you. And um, so, what have you heard from some of the towns that you've contacted? Yeah. So one of my most interesting calls and perhaps confusing calls was out of the town of Harvard. Um, so the lady that I spoke to on the phone with from the Harvard Conservation Commission, she explained to me that Harvard used to have a bylaw that said there could be no fertilizer application within 100 feet of wetlands. Um, and that's something that we're not really pushing for, but we do support that completely. Oh, yeah, because setbacks are important. Otherwise, it's like 25 feet. Yeah. So they extend it to 100 feet. Bravo. But then what happens? Oh, this the Harvard the lady from Harvard told me that when Charlie Governor Charlie Baker took office, he ordered that state agencies and state departments uh, review the relevant town or city bylaws. Um, and what happened was basically that the Har- the Massachusetts Department of Agricultural Resources came to Harvard and said, "You can't have this fertilizer setback bylaw." Um, essentially. MDAR, the Agricultural Resources Department, 
said that they that only they have the power to regulate fertilizers, pesticides, um, et cetera, chemicals <coughs> for lawn care. Um, so that's been a bump in the road. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting though, because Acton does have a fifty a fifty foot setback in their bylaws. So we're just gonna keep saying yeah, what other towns are doing. I think that um, the Falmouth bylaw has stood. So the fact that I don't think the Falmouth bylaw specifically talks about setbacks from the waterway. And um, so they're being very legalistic in saying if you mess with setbacks, we've got down to stand on to say it's state no setter. But if you copy the Falmouth bylaw, so when I go to town or we go to town, uh, we bring the Falmouth bylaw, we bring this um, slow release nitrogen uh, fertilizer that uh, Hunter was telling us about so that they can see what the options are out there. Um, mm-hmm. Hunter, um, and what have you been finding from town? I Sorry, think uh, my biggest takeaway is that these these commissions have a lot of work and not a lot of people working on them. You know, I, I'm really sympathetic to these people because a lot of times I'd, I'd call into them and I'd say, oh, we sent a letter a few weeks ago. Have you received it? And they'd say, uh, probably, but I have to sort through this, this giant stack of papers on my desk or it's just me here working, and like I have to, I have to look through things. And so tell us about <clears> Wayland. <throat> she was specific. Yeah, I, I did talk to someone from Wayland, and when I I told her um, what we were aiming for, she kind of laughed and was like, "Oh, good luck! Like not here in Wayland, that's not going to happen." And she basically was telling me how she's been pushing for stuff for a long time, but she just can't get the support of the public around it. And she you knows she's she's working as a, a one-person team to get the stuff done, and it's just it's not happening. So. And she, she told me the biggest thing you could push for in Wayland right now is educating the people. Right. Like educating them on how to do it on their own, not so much as a bylaw, because that's not going to work there. Right. And I think it's, that's a big thing. It's a case-by-case basis. Every town's different. Every town's have different support. But, yeah, that's, 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 what, I, that's what I learned. About, she was clearly overworked. She was yeah. saying that she's got <clears> very, very few days that she's committed to work mm-hmm. and then stacked it up to do. Yeah, and I, I said, like, fertilizer bylaw, and she said, a what? And it was like, a fertilizer bylaw, and she started laughing. Yeah. She's like, yeah, no way. No way. And she said, oh, I support your cause, but I, I can't do that here in that's Wayland. Right. And, and that pivots to exactly what we're doing today on the radio with you folks, is that uh, decision makers make decisions based on what their constituents ask of them. Mm-hmm. And so most of, many conservation groups are saying, do away with your lawn because they don't realize that uh, the lawn's pollute. And they don't realize that they've been scammed by the industry to put down way more pollution than the grass needs. So um, we are asking people to visit our website and um, see the landing page about that Isabel explained, and then click on, uh, pick a town, and click on a right to your town people. So if you live in a town, municipality, great. If you just care about something, you were born there, or you like going for walks there, or whatever, um, please Click on that letter, and uh, as we do with our other campaign, we don't want just your signature. We want you to take a minute to write a personal comment, because that's what makes all the difference in decision-makers. It's not a whole bunch of signatures, but something from the heart that speaks to them personally that you know the place, because that's what it's going to take for the commissioners, or for the, not the commissioners, commissioners are recommending to the town governors, be it the mayor or the selectman or a town manager, you know, that we need more than education. We need to stop these 
medicine men who are selling us too much fertilizer uh, at the fear of losing our properties. Uh, so please, oceanriver.org is the website. And if you have questions or um, want to be more active in your town, uh, please drop us an email at rob at, o- at oceanriver.org. Mm-hmm. And um, we'd love to hear from you. I'm trying to get you guys set up, but we've been having some difficulties with uh, our website, so you don't yet have... I can't get out your, your addresses mm-hmm. at Ocean River Institute. Um, yeah. Looks like you're about to say something. Oh, no. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, so we've just got a few minutes left. Um, so I will put you on the spot. Why are we doing this? Or, or what do you, how do you want to summarize this? Or what's the takeaway here? Okay. Um, why are we doing this? I think... Just because we're seeing this detriment to waterways and life at such an extreme level, like it's something that has to be done. You know, and if it's one of the things you keep pushing it off, it's gonna get worse and worse to the point where almost time to return kind of thing, you know. You you have to do it now, kind of thing. But yeah. Well thank you for uh Isabel, you wanna say something? Yeah. Um, you know, people in Massachusetts like to go fishing. I know that people like to go fishing and um you know, just enjoying recreational water areas is really important. Mm-hmm. And I just want to keep those areas beautiful. And for Roundup, just, you know, all you have to know is that it's a, it's a killer chemical. And there are ways that we can live and have healthy lawns without it. So this is what, this is important work that we do. Absolutely. Right on. You know, and thank you for helping us understand the connection between the dead fish out there in the river and what we're doing on our lawn. Mm-hmm. Because people think everything has to be causal. You know, what caused this? Well, there's no smoking gun, so it must be nature. <clears throat> well, no. Nature's a system. So we're all interrelated. And so what we do on our property has an effect on adjacent waterways and on into down to the seas and so forth. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really important that we have healthy waters. If we want more fish, it's not a question of how much we take out. It's we've got to stop putting the pollution in the water so the fish can thrive. And here we are being able to save money, save time, save energy, not pay to pollute by not having to put down these fertilizers. And it's just really important that we urge our uh, decision makers to pass a bylaw or an ordinance because many people live in apartments or they live in housing complexes or just their neighbors, they all fear that if someone doesn't maintain the grass, the whole property values are going to go down. And so they've been lured into paying excess money just to pay to pollute. And we need to get the industry to back off. And the only chink in their armor was that Falmouth happened to have as their representative, as their senator, the Senate president, who could make an exemption for Falmouth, who only put down, you know, less than a pound per 1,000 square feet per year, if any at all, and they still have green grass. So please visit us at oceanriver.org, and thanks a lot for listening. Harper, thanks for reporting. (laughs) Isabel? Yeah, of course, anytime. We'll be back next week with an update of what we're learning about the people of Massachusetts cleaning up their waterways by reducing the amount of pollutions they're putting into them. Thank you all for listening.
Until next time, please take care, and then take a moment to take care of this planet and these watersheds of ours. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.